Hello and welcome to Road Soda. Today's episode is being brought to you by the lovely folks at Crest. Crest brand spanking new Crest Taint Whitening Strips and their whole line of Taint Taint Whitening Products. You know, Taint Science has come a long way, Isaiah. These aren't your father's Taint Whitening Strips. Our crack staff, pun intended, have come up with the best Taint Whitening Solution Americans have available at present. Crest Taint Whitening Strips. For a taint so bright white, some people have said they had to get an eye mask for their asshole to let it get some sleep. Now, Isaiah, if I told you I knew about a new taint whitening product, I can almost hear what you'd say. But let me ask anyway, what would you say? You know, Greg, we've heard all the same promises again and again. 10% brighter, 20% less burning. Big business lies and tricks its way onto my taint year after year. Uh, sometimes my tank gets arguably brighter, but then the burning increases. And when they come out with a product that doesn't burn quite as much, I don't get the compliments on a bright white taint that I strive for. So what will make these Crest taint strips any different, my friend? I'm glad you said that, Isaiah, because the the Crest taint whitening team has heard that message loud and clear, and they are not here to pick you up at the bar after a few drinks, fuck you, and not call again. No, Isaiah, not this team. This team is here to stay locked, laser-focused onto your taint and its whiteness. Now, I know very few people have accused you of being a licensed and accredited taint scientist, so I won't bore you with the specifics to back up any of these claims, but I will close with this quote from the president of the North American Association for the Advancement of Taint Science. You can't beat Crest Taint Whitening Strips for a white so bright your balls will call your asshole to shut the hall light off. Greg, how you been, man? I've been all right, man. It's hot out there today. It is. It's piping hot. You know, I got a haircut the other day. By the other day, I mean yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks like you just came from the barbershop, maybe. It's It's very tight. It's very tight. You know, I've been tipping this guy a lot, and he's really starting to catch on. And this touch-up haircut probably took about uh, 20 minutes longer than it should have. But his argument was that I was kind of schwitzing. I was schwitzing. During the, during the pr- procedure, and that mean like, it was hot outside, and you came right inside, and yeah, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with this like uh, polyurethane like cloak on. Well, sometimes it does get hot under there. I throw off a lot of heat, and then sometimes like I'm like baking, basting in my own juices. So I like to go to a place for that takes like ten minutes. When you went, right. it took twenty long, minutes longer than it should have. My haircuts are like eight minutes. Well, I mean, if you see what's going on here, for those uh, who don't know what's going on here, this is what we call a bald fade. All right. That means it fades to bald. Well, actually, you've got 87 shaved into both sides. Is that like your football number or what's the 87? Uh, It's my... uh, I'm I'm kidding. He's got no letters. Just just the lightning (laughs) bolt like normal. No letters. Just the lightning bolt. Everybody knows me. Isaiah Lightning Bolt Jones. (laughs) So... uh, but yeah, he it, the the problem was because I was switching the tiny little hairs were sticking to my scalp, so he couldn't get them right, and uh, it took a little longer. But uh, yeah, it's a little hot, and it's costing me money, time and money is what time it's costing and me. money for the heat. Yeah. So, uh, hey man, do you have any anything anything uh, 
happened in the news this week? You got anything? Uh, yeah, you know what? I just read that Canada is going to be the second place to legalize marijuana totally for rec- recreational use this October, on the 17th of October. Really? Yeah. Like, and that's like federal sweeping all the way across federal. the board. They're like, fuck it. Federal is as close to, you know, federal as you can get in Canada. I mean, it's kind of a fucking bullshit place. But yeah, they're going to legalize <laughs> Whoa, it for recreational use. And a guy is create the, the way I came across this was an article in The Guardian where that said, it hits you very quickly. Canada brews first cannabis beer. And this is not, he made a big point to say, this is not like beer infused with oil. They actually brew the beer with, uh, what did he say, like the stems... The stalks, stem, and roots of the cannabis plant. So there you go. I don't know what they're going to call it. Now, is that going to be, and that's going to get you high when you drink it? It's. I guess you can brew it with like hops or something like, like the way you would brew it with hops. You can brew it with like yep, the buds. But I don't know. Would that get you high? Because I know that uh, THC is not water soluble. It's only fat soluble. So that's why you have to cook it in oils. In order for you to ingest it orally, you can't ingest it orally unless it's like bound to a fat. So how is that? I wonder. I wonder how they're going to go about. Uh, that's interesting, man. What do you think it's going to taste like? Um, I think the flavor is going to be dry, savory, less sweet than a typical beer flavor, uh, and I think the beer is going to hit you very quickly, which is not common for a marijuana edible. That's from the article, and they said so far the company's experimental products have averaged about 6.5 milligrams of THC per beer. But like you said, I mean, you know, they put like 9 billion milligrams of vitamin C in a pill. How much of it actually do you absorb and how much do you piss out? I don't know. So I don't know if you'll be getting high with it, but I I feel like once this comes out, we're going to all know very quickly because if it gets you high and it's a beer and it's free and you can buy it at, you know, Canadian CVS... I think we're all going to hear about it pretty soon. And I think it's going to come down here soon. <laughs> sweep the nation. I think this is going to be the first thing that Canada does that actually goes. Could be the first step towards world peace is what I'm thinking. Could be, man. <laughs> Alcohol, the, the drunks and the dope heads are going to finally be able to get together around mm-hmm. a campfire. That'll be nice. They'll finally not. Uh, they'll finally give a shit about each other. You know what else I heard? Now, What's off that, that uh, that's, that's more. You shucked left. I'm going to shuck right on this one. And I heard, uh, did you hear about this down in Inglewood, Inglewood, Florida? It's actually uh, not too far from where we are here. A woman was arrested for killing her dog with a crowbar. Uh, Erica, uh, sorry, Erica Jackson is the one who reported on the story. Now, if uh, (laughs) I I read the story um, and looked at it and, and the quote was, she did that because... Um, she f- the she felt that euthanizing her dog at the vet the traditional way would be too traumatic. AKA, she didn't want to spend the forty seven dollars. She nice said going, it would be too what fiscally traumatic. <laughs> is that what it is? Because you know what she did. She didn't just beat it with a crowbar. She tried to give it the old uh, the the easy way out first. She loaded it up with Tylenol PM. And uh, the I dog, wonder how many she did. She say how many Tylenol PM she tried to give a dog. Was it a big see, dog? Uh, I, I don't know. I should have. I should have uh, dug a little deeper into the size of the dog. How many? How many? Uh, I mal- mean, in, unless we're talking about a Chihuahua, 
if you're going to try and kill a dog with Tylenol PM, dogs are pretty goddamn resilient. How many Tylenol, I mean, I, I would think 100 plus Tylenol PMs is still not going to kill a dog. That's anything it, what is, And it wasn't just Tylenol PMs. It was barbiturates and Tylenol. She was wasting the good shit on this. <laughs> Isn't that just, well, uh, how, why did she, and the dog had a human name. It was Sophie, right? Claimed to, she chose to euthanize Sophie due to the dog having a torn ACL. She was done with the dog, man. Dog Taurus ACL. There goes its chances at a, a starting position for the <laughs> as a kicker. Anything above the dirt. <laughs> and uh, dude. Hey, so that's a warning to all dogs out there. You really got to stretch before you try and make those sharp cuts. Limber up. Your ACL goes out. Next thing you know, you're getting beat with a crowbar. Oh, it happens. Well, dude, and you know what? The dog was just too robust. She gave it all those things. The dog woke up the next morning and she said, well, I've already made up my mind. Jeez. Took it right out. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Did this actually happen? Because this sounds a lot like the plot for Air Bud 3, Under the Bar, from two years ago. So I don't know if you, this really happened or what, but it was really sad. My kids freaked when they saw Air Bud getting pounded with the crowbar. In the movie... You know, they just put a little wrap around his head, and he comes back and yeah. Well, they attacked it, yeah. And then the sequel to that is uh, it was the creators of Airbud actually partnered up with Stephen King and uh, <laughs> Pet Cemetery, <clears throat> and Airbud comes back to defeat everybody. Um, Do you ever and, see that? Did you ever see Pet Cemetery? No, dude, it's so fucking sad. I mean, so <laughs> the gist of that movie is you bury your pet in the cemetery and it comes back, but it's not the same. It's like undead, and then the dude buries his kid. And then his kid comes back. He buries his kid in the fucked up pet cemetery. But the saddest part of that whole movie is this little kid runs across the road. And they're like, hold on, Jimmy. And they turn around and he runs. And of course, it's like a, it's not like a Prius. It's a fucking bah, semi. Bah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they just show these little baby shoes flying. And I was little like, baby Jesus shoes. Christ, that was a bit much. We get it. The kid's dead. What the hell was there left to bury? Did they have to like suck it up into a bait turkey baster and squirt it? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, the worst part of that whole movie is the baby shoes flying in the air. The rest of it was just a fucking it was just it sucked. The guy the guy from the Munsters played the like the grandfather and at one point now I might be confused complaining this with the Chucky movies, but uh it's one of those things from horror movies I hate when they show you like the graphic th- the guy who played not the, he played the grandfather in the Munsters. The old guy. Munsters or that the or the Fred Adams family. Maybe he was the guy from the... No, it was the... It was the Munsters. The, the dad Munsters. from the Munsters. Okay. I don't know why that was happening. I was, he goes to... Like, they're looking for... It's either Chucky now or this kid. Mm-hmm. He goes to look for him. And he gets out of his bed and he puts his feet down. And the thing goes at his damn Achilles. Achilles yeah, yeah, like yeah a, that's Chucky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Like, I honestly... Like, worst. 10% of the time I get out of a bed and I put my feet down... I moved just that much quicker, just in case, because you just never know. You never know. That you goddamn know. movie changed my life. Chucky. You Son know, bitch. there's people out there with crowbars killing dogs, and like anything's possible. Anything's <laughs> anything is possible. Uh, so that about wraps it up. There's a couple other things. I guess the, there was a parking lot dispute, and uh, some guy. It was over a handicapped parking spot. Some dude blasted another guy over that, uh, and the cops refused to arrest. Or um, what's the not convict arrest and charge? They were like, "It was his spot, man. You, you got to put your blinker on." Where was that? Uh, I was in Florida somewhere. In Florida somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Where do you think it is, man? So uh, that is that that wraps up uh, the news. Um, You're welcome, by the way. Now we've got you guys all caught up on what's going on in the world. Mostly Florida, because both of those <laughs> things. Uh, we'll give you the good shit. We're based out of Florida, and you know what? People like to really shit on Florida. Uh, and that's okay to do if you're from Florida. It's like if you've uh, got a got a kid that's not so there, you can make fun of them, but you're not going to let your neighbor do it, right? That was very euphemistic, <laughs> by the way. Like you got a kid that's not so there. Well, <laughs> no, I like that. That's very PC. I'm about to. Uh, for those who uh, don't know, you know, I'm I'm going to have a. Uh, I'm going to be having a son. I'll be having a son. I'm I'm going to be a father. Triple in November. triple testicle. Uh, Isaiah Jr. <laughs> you got to tell you got to tell them. About so, um, yeah, I and I had a scare with the uh, kid not being the normal a normal kid, and so that's why you know you never know what can happen with your kid before they're born. And so uh, I'm trying to be a little more sensitive. And what happened was earlier in the week, my uh, girlfriend had to go to her ultrasound appointment and I was not able to uh, make it so what she did was when I asked her how it went she said you know everything's good except uh, our son has three balls and I really tried to get her (laughs) to to, I was like are you serious I was like if you're if you're joking I think that's very funny but she wouldn't say that she was joking I kept saying are you serious and she's like yeah yeah, he's got three balls. And I goes, ask a question. And, and then it was off to the races, and I was Googling it. It's called polyorchidism. Uh, not only is it called polyorchidism, but it's outstandingly rare. Uh, only 201 recorded cases. Only one person has it, and it was the author of the Wikipedia article. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, man, make that 202 cases. Old, <laughs> my son's going to be on there. And I told Greg here. And then uh, I told my uh, a good friend of mine who's in med school, and he was very fascinated by this. And I was like, yeah, man, I just don't know. Uh, this is crazy. And he's like, that is crazy. I told my father. And by this, uh, by the time I told my father, she just couldn't keep up the, the whole thing anymore. She's like, I'm sorry, I have to tell you. He has the, the normal two balls. <laughs> She let you go for a few hours, though. She let me go for a few hours. I'm, you know, good on her for doing that. I think that is funny because I think it might have come from the fact that she was a little upset that I didn't go with her, and uh, she kept me going. And I'm not mad about it. You know, I was buying three bald underwear and stuff for my little uh, three bald diapers, (laughs) Uh, so it's not that big of a deal. I wasn't too. (laughs) Anyway, uh, dude. So how how did you? Where we left off last week? Let's just jump right into. The cliffhanger. The cliffhanger. The the Georgia Guidestones. Did you think about this at all? I did. Uh, yeah, I wanted to know what uh, you know. You started to kind of tease us a little bit with all this. You know, this uh, secret organization spent all this money, bought all this granite, put it up there, and then you started giving us what their ten commandments were. They definitely sounded like whack jobs. I, uh, yeah. So let's let's start there. Uh, how do you? feel from what I have expressed uh, what we talked about last time uh, how do you feel about it so far so like I'm how I'm taking that is like my guess for who the people are that you're going to explain that put this thing together are just some type of whack job right kind of but how do you feel looking, yeah go ahead sorry kind of forward looking but also 
you know, the thing that I took away mostly from the rules was keep the Earth's population under 500 million or whatever. Right. So that is, I think that is the big catcher. Here, uh, allow me to once again read, uh, just real quick, the Georgia Guidestones is a monument erected outside of um, Elberton, Georgia. It's kind of in northeastern, or sorry, northwestern, no, northeastern Georgia. Um, And it's got these... It's 20 feet tall, big granite thing. It has all these ge- uh, um, astrological features. And, uh, and it's got messages written in eight different languages written around on each one of the faces of these things. Like the same message in, it's eight, the same, ten, yes. in eight languages. It was their Ten Commandments or whatever it was for right. the aliens. Basically. Exactly, for the aliens, sure. Uh, so I'll just read those to you uh, one more time. Uh, the first one starting from the very top it says maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature and I think that's the one that really gets people uh, they should have they should have I don't know if they should fall, lead with that one you know maybe they should tie up the end put all the other ones first because that one's a little hard hitting I mean because um, you could easily read it as kill 6.5 billion people right. plus that is you can't extrapolate uh that com- comment into that. Uh, so guide number two is guide reproduction wisely, Im- Im- wisely improving fitness and diversity, which has a very eugenics feel to it. Um, number three, unite humanity with a living new language. Number four, unite humanity. Oh, sorry. Number four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Number five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. You know, some of these are too, you know, I'm not too in too much disagreement with a lot of these. I know, but once you open with that first one, though, I feel like they went, all right, we're not all with that, but we'll do that. And then they went, we got to put in some other ones, though, so we don't sound like dicks, because we sound like dicks after the first one. So we're not so much like dicks. I mean, what about let all nations rule internally, (laughs) resolving external disputes in a world court? That one's not so bad. We're not so bad. What about number seven? Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Everyone can get behind that, right? So they're Republicans. <laughs> uh, number eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Um, number nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Number ten, be not cancer on the earth, leave room for nature. Leave room for nature, which kind of almost ties back to that first one. So, where we left off last week was the a man by the name of R. C. Christian showed up at the Elberton Granite Finishing Company in Elberton, Georgia, and had this thing commissioned. They told him they overshot the they overshot the entire price of it, hoping that he would just be like, ah, never mind, that's a little pricey. And uh, when they told him it was going to be five hundred thousand, he's like, all right. He said he was he it was a pseudonym R C Christian was a pseudonym right that was um, he said he didn't want anyone to know who he was he only spoke with two arguably maybe three people at the uh, Albertin Granite Finishing Company and uh, he said that he was being financially backed and represented a group of loyal American citizens um, so now let's dig into what. Uh, the biggest people generally believe um, when they hear when they see this the first thing you think is like wow this is like new world order shit this is 
When was this again, by the way? When did they buy the granite and put it up? Uh, this is in... About... 80. 80, okay. Yeah, 79 is when he came, showed up, and I think 80, 81 is when it finally went up. So 1979 is when it was commissioned. And the Elberton Granite Finishing Company did the whole thing. They carved the everything thing. and put it up. Yes. Stacked it. They were able to construct it in that way that had that thing you said the... The, at noontime every day of the year it shined on a certain thing yeah they and did all that yeah wow okay so they Good well this that. guy well this guy gave him gave them a scale model he's like this is what I want it to look like and they did it okay so they they designed uh, this guy the, with the pseudonym and their uh, his group of people whatever they're the ones who designed and, and put together the whole thing and they're like here's here's a scale model of it this is what we want it to look like this is where we bought this property this is where we wanted to go. They bought the property for some farmer outside of Elberton, and uh, they gave the farmer grazing rights to the whole thing. So the guy's are like, fuck yeah, you want to give me money and I can still use the land to graze my cows? It's like, fucking win-win. Why not, right? Um, and then after the thing went up, a couple years after, they he gave the property to the city of Elberton. So now the city of Elberton actually owns it, and it is uh, like a public park fixture in the area. Uh, it's being it's defaced all the time because obviously you know that that picture that 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 it paints is one that is a bit new worldish new world order and it's like uh, population calling that kind of thing is like Jesus Christ you know um, so let's dig into first like who is R C Christian um, who is this guy well first the uh, uh, there's a lot of speculation as to who he could have been. And they think that the name R.C. Christian is sort of tied to the Rosicrucianists. Uh, so R.C. Christian or the Rosy Cross, which was, have you ever heard, uh, are you familiar with the Rosy, Order of the Rosy Cross? No. Okay, so the Order of the Rosy Cross is a organization that came out of Hermeticism in uh, the late 1500s, early 1600s. And uh, the whole, the whole, it's like a, kind of like you know the Illuminati Freemasons that kind of thing mm-hmm. it is just a, a fraternal order of like learned doctors and religious uh, it was 500 years ago yes okay. uh, the, yes the Rosicrucians yeah 15 to 1600s and um, so they created this uh, order um, and it was based off of three manifestos and a lot, they they and these manifestos claim that everything came pretty much directly from uh, the hermetic scripts. Are you uh, do you, you are you familiar with like hermeticism and no? So hermeticism was a group of scripts that were written in ancient Greece, and they explained a lot of how like basically all um, there's there's a philosophy of basically how all religions are essentially the same religion and how it has something to do with like Hermes, you know, the god of like messenger, the messenger god and like the gods giving this information to to people and it was like a combination of Hermes and uh, Thoth uh, who is just another Greek god and um, it's this idea that there uh, uh, it's like this whole script on how to kind of be one with the human spirit like your spirit is God and like be connected with that and this uh, make yourself better and that will make everything else better and so the Rosy Cross is based off of that and then it really came out in a very important time in um, in uh, Europe 
when it was like the Middle Ages, shit, where like people were like, there was economic turmoil and there was uh, um, civil turmoil. Just everything sucked. People had terrible living conditions. Everyone was dying. And so this uh, group of like eight doctors basically came together and they were all like super into hermeticism and they wanted to use their, their doctor skills to heal people for free and then create this order that would kind of like lead and guide people and help people. And uh, they were all like sworn bachelors. And then each one of them like swore to like replace themselves like when they would die. So like they would go find their, uh, find their predecessor like before they would die to replace themselves. So the order would continue to go on. But they would have, it's basically just this order that teaches and guides people in, in the way of hermeticism for more or less but it's all based around like um and then the rosy cross itself is their symbol it's a cross with a rose on it. you might have even seen it somewhere before it's kind of familiar looking but that the cross symbolizes uh the human or the human flesh and it's kind of like the uh, what's that called in ancient egypt it's like the cross with the with the circle on top like the ankh or something you know what i'm talking about the egyptian cross um, so instead of having like the straight line on top, it's it's got the circle and then the cross. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the Ankara or something. Something like that. It's something you sim- yeah, something like that. Well, it's so that has kind of always represented like the human, the human flesh kind of thing, and that's how they use it in this. And then the the rose is this the human soul and the different layers of the human soul that we're trying to work through in each like in in our life trying to better ourselves and better that that blossoming rose in a way. So they have a really good message. You know, their message is one that is they are they are religious in the way that the human spirit is the thing that we should really be working on individual people like work to better yourself and be the best person you can and in that way you'll better everything else. Like you'll better everyone around you and that kind of thing. And they see Jesus as somebody that has done that to the ultimate extent. You know what I mean? They don't see him as a god that was became a man, but a man that became a god. And when you do that, if he's a man that became a, if he's a god that became a man, you have no choice but to worship him. But if he is a man that became a god, then there's hope for all of us to also obtain the same thing. I like and, that because there's so many religions say, you know, just waste your time with all this other bullshit now. There's a great afterlife later. This is saying. Do something good now because mm-hmm. we don't fucking know. Right. And that's what, and you know, uh, so that's what they, they, they have like Jesus as this person that, that obtained this place of being that was like, you know, um, his soul and his spirit was connected with his body and he was a, uh, just a very righteous, uh, incredible person that we should all, he was the template that we should all strive for. Right. So that's the Rosicrucianists, right? And then, of course, uh, Hermeticism also has so much tied in with, like, alchemy back in the day, which was just, like, chemistry and, like, science. And it's a, you know, honestly, when you when you read into what it is, you're like, it's not so bad. But because it's, like, an organization that had to come up and be hidden at a time when, like, that kind of shit was prosecuted with by death, like, you can't, there's no, you're not going to organize you questioning the church. There's questioning just, anything. There was no room for that 500 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So, but when when it comes down to it, it's not such a bad thing. So, uh, a lot of people see the Rosicrucianists 
are attached to this. And um, now there is some interesting stuff. I really want to try to wrap this up. There's just a lot of like... So nothing has really been proved about who did it. No. We suspect that it was these hermetic we, people. We can suspect that it was someone who had to... It might have been a group that had to No do one's it. ever stepped forward as far as you know through the whatever that and like it claimed responsibility or ownership or anything. Allegedly. But um, here's also an alleged letter. Now... I uh, this is I found this because in researching it, if you look at the uh, Georgia Guidestones, if you look at any picture of the Georgia Guidestones, I believe it's the English tablet. At the very top, there's maybe a foot by a foot square, cube or foot by foot cubed chunk that is carved out in the very top corner. It's gone. And if you look at old pictures from when it was first, excuse me, when it was first put up, it is uh, that it's kind of etched out. It's still there. The chunk is there. It's just etched out. And then uh, at a point, it disappeared. And then years later, it got put back. with uh, A block was put back with carvings all around it. Uh, like numbers and weird letters. And then it was only up for like a few weeks. And the people that watched the park came, took it out, and destroyed it. And so that like... I was like, well, that's really interesting. Like, what is that? What What is... I'm very curious as to what that whole deal was. So I Googled it and, you know, looking for... Um, and there was this this uh, article written by a guy called... It's called vanshardware.com. And it's this guy that's like his own little like written blog and stuff. But this guy... I'm so glad... So I he read, lives in Elberton, I assume. I think he lives... Yes, he does actually. Okay. He does. And uh, <laughs> I read this and I'm like, wow, this is like really alarmist like out there kind of shit and when uh, and then I watched an, a very uh, an older history channel documentary on the Georgia Guidestones and they interview this guy from Vans Hardware like his website they interview him and the people that interview him immediately walk away and they're like he's a little uh, like out there right <laughs> and I'm like I'm so glad I got to see that guy on TV and like actually explain himself and you're like yeah this guy is just the word this guy is falling. Oh, because reading the blog, you were like, I don't know, maybe this guy know what he's talking about. But then when you actually saw him, you're like, this guy does not know what he's he talking. He knows, about. he has no idea. So what happened is, uh, so he's got these posts, and it's from two, uh, October fifth, two thousand fourteen. It's from a long time ago. So apparently, allegedly, what happened was he gets a uh, 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 an anonymous letter. He gets an anonymous letter that says that uh, they know everything. They know that like, they don't. They want to kept uh they want their anonymity kept and uh they could die and apparently the guy that did write this letter did die uh i'm gonna read this to you but i'm pretty sure that whoever wrote this it was the guy it was van's hardware was that guy he wrote this because he he knew it was right he knew it was right this is right but he just needed a way to say that it was right because no one's listening to him so he created this an an anonymous person that um so here's the truth, as I know it to be. This is, this is the email. The Georgia Guidestones were built by Freemasons. This should, uh, this should come as no surprise. Let me tell you why they were built. Where they were built first. The Georgia Guidestones, so they're built in Elberton. Because uh, uh, something about the, one of the reasons the vast quantities of blue, uh, pyramid blue granite in the area. The whole area is filled with granite. Uh, the Freemasons... In Elberton, the town was founded by Freemasons in Elberton. So the whole, it's just, uh, whole place is nothing but Freemasons. Got a big granite finishing company. Of course, there's going to be Masons and shit in the area. And it's the most farthest place east in, um, in uh, Georgia. 
and the, the sun rises in the east so the Freemasons are like they're basically worship the sun and the sunrise is like a holy experience for Freemasons um, so who mastermind the Guidestones especially lore points to R.C. Christian much debate has been made about who this man was and some people have guessed correctly yet not correctly the big secret R.C. Christian was actually two men Robert Carter Cook was the mastermind Robert Edward Ted Turner third was talking was the talking face <laughs> that Joe Fenley and Wyatt Martin actually so Joe Fenley and Wyatt Martin were the guys that worked at uh, the Elberton Finishing Company right Ted Turner the third is is that the Ted Turner the Ted know? Turner baby okay um, so they have this Ted Turner uh, has been a eugenic supporter for years he made one comment in an in an interview that kind of alluded to that and ever since people are like it's him it's him right. Um, and this guy Robert Carter wrote The Age of Reason which this monument is the Age of Reason uh, a monument for the New Age of Reason or something like that right um, so the Freemasons connection Robert Ted Turner both ha- uh, of these men were our Freemasons Ted Turner is the Order of Ma- Malta I'm not sure about and this is all coming from this this anonymous email now Joe Fenley the Granite Mogul yada yada I don't want to um denigrate every Freemason involved in this project and the whole thing every single bit was um, built by Freemasons now if you look there's that carve out let me see it up on top there see a little chunk in the very oh, top yeah. corner that was before right and uh, you can see it's always been there it's always been there from the very first time they put it up that little imperfection's been there um, now the dates We did you do you remember me I, I'm okay I really want to try to just wrap this up like right now so the you know the dates at the very did I ever tell you about the dates that are blank it says the time capsule that's buried under the whole thing it's yes. left blank so when that thing disappeared and came back that chunk it came back and people were able to to extrapolate dates from it they said it was it was like January something no it was August 18th whatever was going to be the great calling Right, so that's what their claims were that this is going to be when everyone's going to die and everyone's going to burn, and uh, only 500 million people are going to be left. Right, and so that's what everyone thinks that that was. Um, and then there's this the article that was written, and then they were like, and and the reason that was left blank, the time capsule, was because uh, they were going to put that on there when the great they were going to put time capsule buried from the date of the calling, and then 100 years from them is when it could be taken out from then. That's why they left it blank. Right. <laughs> Um, and then also there's a, um, so, sorry. So that's, that, that is what every, that's what they're, they're saying. And then, um, of course the date came and went, nothing ever happened. Obviously we're in 2018 now and this is back in 2014. So nothing ever happened. So it leaves you to believe like what, what did happen? Like, why was there this chunk? Why did it leave? Why did it get put back? Uh, there, the article does seem kind of phony as to why it got, why it disappeared, um, and why they reported on it when they did. Like they reported late, and it doesn't make any sense as to why like the cameras weren't working. So they have cameras watching it because it gets uh, just destroyed all the time with like paint. Um, so anyway, this is this is there is no great calling. Uh, you know, the Rosicrucianists maybe have built it, but obviously the date came and went. Nothing ever happened. Now, let's be realistic about what's going on here. It was built in 1979. Now, it could have totally been built by the Rojicrucianists. They could have funded it and built it in 1979. Um, 
And it makes sense that they did. But 1979 was like the height of the Cold War. Everyone, like, death and destruction of the entire world on a grand scale was on the doorstep of everybody. And um, granite, in the grand scheme, stone granite specifically, is the only thing that lasts through uh, natural and human catastrophe. That's true. Uh, over the course of 10,000 years, metal will be completely reclaimed. So even steel, over the 10,000 years, will be completely uh, oxified and, and nothing anymore. Uh, wood disintegrates, uh, concrete crumbles, everything. But granite, I mean, the um, there's a lot of different speculation as to like how old the Sphinx and these different things are. But those things are in excess of between 15 to uh, as early as 5,000 years old is what a lot of people think. But they could also be as old as 20 to 30,000 years old. But like these stone monuments stay uh, for longer than anything else. And it's the best way to push your message on to the next generation. So, if so it might a, not be aliens. It might be post-apocalyptic. It's just post-apocalyptic. Yeah. The, to, if you want to look at this from more of like a the world isn't all doom and gloom, it's a group of people that have the money and have the forethought to think like, hey, we're on death's doorstep. Like this whole world might be died down to a couple million people. So what are we going to do for the next generations? We don't want them to make the same mistakes. What are we going to do? Let's erect a monument that won't that has the best chance of not getting destroyed and try to help these mistakes not be made again. And so that is, you know, that that thing wouldn't get destroyed, you know, it's in all these different languages, the eight most popular ones. Um the age of reason, so you know, so then if that did happen, there was a monument there, so if they came upon it, it might be something that was almost holy in a way to, to a lot of these people coming and out of it. it's way that. out of the way, too. Even if all the nukes started flying, mm-hmm. there's not going to be a direct hit anywhere near Elberton. There's fucking nothing there. So there's I guess that, that, could be, that could also go with, the, with that theory. Exactly. And not only that, but um, on projected continental drift and uh, glacier melting and that kind of thing, uh, you know, like Florida is supposed to go under over a certain like 10,000, 20,000 years. That Was that data re- readily available though in the late 70s? Um, yeah, a lot of that geographical, because, you know, projecting from Pangaea to now and that kind of thing, they can continue to project and like everyone knows and it's not, it's been a pretty regular thing that they know that California is going to like go underwater pretty soon. There's like the big one's going to make it slide and something's <laughs> going to happen, right? Uh, the ice, ice caps are still going to keep melting. So, uh, when all that is said and done, like the it's at an elevation and far enough inland where it'll pretty much become like maybe maybe there are more of these than just this one. This is the American one. Maybe there's one somewhere else where you haven't heard the story yet. Could be, could be. So then it comes down to the chunk out of the top, and my speculation is um, the whole thing was five hundred thousand dollars, and though I'm sure all these people, doctors and whatever the Russians put this money together to do it it's still a lot of money and let's say you're you put it all on a flatbed and you're shipping your 10,000 pound granite slab out to get put up and then all of a sudden the corner gets bumped by by like a you know like a wrecking ball type thing that might pick it up and it just like cracks it and destroys it something that they might do would be to make it a clean cut and put a block in there because when the hole now it's got pegs like it was something else had to be put in there because you either do that or you get a whole new fucking granite block. Right. Or you have a fucking chipped corner. But what are you going to do? Just 
etch it out, put a new thing in there. I'm not buying another. So shipping shipping damage is what you think was. I'm the... honestly thinking like, have you ever? Are you familiar with um, the philosopher Occam? Occam and his uh, my favorite thing is Occam's razor. Occam's razor, yeah. Occam the simplest razor. explanation is the sim- usually exactly of, of two separate of two yes of two given scenarios. The simplest is most often true. So what do you, what is most likely to happen? That it got bumped and they fixed it, or that there's this grand calling scheme and they put the actual fucking message. It's like there's not that much. There's come on, like I, the the idea and the secrecy behind this is it fits with Rosicrucianists because even how they first made themselves announced was in Paris on these um, pieces of paper, these posters that went up just on like a church wall or like on a wall. One day. in the 1600s we're talking in the 1600s mm-hmm. they just pasted them up somewhere and it was like we're here we're hidden if you want to search for the enlightenment uh, it's there we'll help you that kind of thing and it follows right in line with that um, I think it's much more of like a it's supposed to be something that makes you think uh, makes you realize the um, uh, what's ex- um, oh my god what's the word I'm looking for the ex- uh I'm having external crisis, uh, not an external. I'm having a existential, or the existential nature of uh, you know our being here and everything. That, you know, there's a chance that we you know, everything's great now, but things could go to shit. And you know, uh, that's a guide stones. I, th- I, I personally, when you really uh, step back from the doom and gloom, crazy conspiracy theory shit that we're all like, oh, it's a conspiracy. It's uh, you know, it's a really interesting, cool thing, and I think it's very forward thinking. And but there's so now the what I'm thinking about is there's Georgia tax money going to like maintain this, scrape off the graffiti, someone's got a camera on it. That's like government. I think it's more like the Elberton County. So as long as you're not driving through there and buying anything or living there and paying their property taxes, you don't have to but worry about it. But this guy advanced hardware is paying ostensibly, I don't know, we'll say four bucks a year out of he, his taxes. I don't think he thinks that deeply in such a rational direction. But it's not even about what he thinks. <laughs> That's happening. Everyone in Elberton is paying something. But I mean, to keep it, this as, thing most. as far as cr- crossing his mind. But I mean, what else? You pay for parks and you pay for little monuments. Like, what's it? I personally, a bronze statue of Paul Revere in a park is just has just as much meaning to me as like these would. I mean, it's just. But a, if in the night someone constructed an unknown group constructed the Paul Revere statue, I'd probably take it down because fuck. But yeah. this was this was like done by the books like they had a big company do it everyone knew it was being built it was just they didn't know who who it was and they bought the property they donated the property I guess if you're in Alberton and you got nothing else going on you're like yeah we got nothing a of lot course of pe- we'll take this a lot of people also think that it was a because it probably spurs a little bit of tourism even if it's like weirdos that's exactly what I was going to say a lot <laughs> there is some people that think that even the there was no RC Christian and the entire Alberton granite finishing company and all the Freemasons there and everything because there's a crossover between the Freemasons and the Rosicrucianists. They go hand in hand. and um, they, Everybody knows that. Right. And they built the whole thing <laughs> to, to draw... Everyone knows, obviously. <laughs> Come on. So they built the whole thing and, and put it all together and kind of left it as a, uh, a mystery and to maybe also attract some kind of granite tourism. But uh, it's a very expensive way to do that. But I think it could fit all those, all those columns. It could do all those things. And to be honest, if I had that much money, that it really has got me thinking. If you had a, a lot of disposable income, would you, or now knowing what granite can do, would you erect like a granite monument somewhere? Like buy a property, pay it off for like years? 
I mean, for you know, I don't, I don't think I would. Because what am I going to fucking tell people that have survived the apocalypse? You know what I mean? I'd just be you, and then maybe, maybe if there was like a, you know, guest book or something, and I happen to be walking by it, I might sign and give them some type of advice. But I'm not spending any money to erect a granite statue for with some type of instructions. Originally, when you started talking about it, it made me think of there's a sci-fi movie that came out maybe ten years ago or less, Prometheus. Mm-hmm. You ever see that? Yeah. Which that kind of made me think of this when that was kind of a clever movie where. And I really wanted to like the movie too, but it was not good. It wasn't. It had Stringer Bell from The Wire. Was, yeah, I never was, watched The Wire. Never watched The Wire. He was like the cool guy. It was his um, Idris Elba is the guy. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, you would definitely know the guy if you saw. If him. I watched <clears throat> the show, but I had never. <laughs> no, but you'll know him from other stuff because he was in other stuff. Right. String, uh, Idris Elba, and um, I remember from the ads they had this really cool noise that was being made through the commercials when you were so, and it was like a really creepy like, what is that? I want to see what what that's going. But they just didn't do a good job executing the movie. But the gist of it was, aliens landed, they put really complex instructions in these caves, and then the gist was, once we were smart enough to read the instructions and then go to where the instructions led us, that would let them know that, oh, the population that they planted on Earth is evolved enough that we can now go and enslave them and it'll be useful to us. Which was kind of a good... It was a cool point, but I just, it wasn't a good movie. It wasn't... Yeah, the idea is much better than what the execution was. You're like, that sounds cool. They wrote a big check, and it could not be... Ca- it was uncashable, or they did not cash it properly, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. They should have just made that movie Fat Rain. Fat Rain. Do you know what that's from? No. Bowfinger? Holy shit, that movie sucked. I do remember Bowfinger. Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. I started watching it last night and it just didn't grab me. You started me. watching it last <laughs> night? Seriously? It just didn't grab me. Yeah, that movie really sucked big time. Yeah, I didn't... It was... It, you know, it wasn't... Uh, I was going to give it a, a try, but then I just got too tired for it. So, um, here we are. Uh, last week you had this this problem, this thing, where you just all of a sudden... Started listening to this song. What song was it? It was Lately by Stevie Wonder. Have you ever heard that song? I'm sure you've heard the song. I heard you it know because it? you wouldn't stop playing it. Yeah, that was like a week ago Friday. I don't know why it happened, but... And I do tend to listen to the same stuff over and over at work because I really am using it just to kind of tone out the background noise of the people talking on the phone. And if I, if you're listening to new stuff, it kind of pricks your ear up and pulls your attention towards that. So I listen to like the same stuff over and over. Usually not the same song. For whatever reason, it came on and I hit the button to play it a couple of times and then it, for some reason, just put it on a loop. It didn't even like, usually Spotify will like, once you get to the end of your playlist, try and turn into like Pandora on you. Uh, you're a Spotify guy? No. You but I get Spotify. It. Yeah. Yes. You, you know Pandora. Mm-hmm. You can't pick what you want to play. Spotify, you can pick whatever you want to play. You put in a playlist and you can set it to loop and play the same songs again. If you don't do that, when it gets to the end of the playlist, it turns into whatever the name of that playlist was, radio, and then it starts sent, trying to send you, you know, like types right. of songs. Okay. But it didn't do that at this point. I must have hit a button wrong or something. And so here I am that a week ago Friday listening to it. I listened to it a ton of times, specifically uh, the arrangement, the recording from his 1980 album, Hotter Than July, when it came out. It's one of those songs, I'm sure it's been done a million different times. He probably had 20 different versions of it. I, I don't know what the versions are, but the original one... So here's what I learned about this song because I, I probably heard it a hundred times in my life. It's been around since 1980, but I, then I listened to it a hundred times last week. I bet you I listened to it more than a hundred times because I put it on a loop a couple of times. Once I realized and I was conscious that I was looping it, 
I started doing it and I was like, I really like this song. And it actually was really good at blocking out what was happening. I've never done that before with one song. That might be something I do now mm-hmm. where I just put one song on and let it loop because my mind puts it into the background that much quicker right. than like a whole playlist. You know, you know, that's how they like drive the criminals out in the hostage situation, right? That's true. That's how they drive them They mad. did that to Manuel Noriega. They blasted that music back like, down in that. You have forever. that name on tap. Well, it was a famous case because they put like wicked. It wasn't just the music, but it was like the volume that they put to like get him to come out of his. He was like a big drug lord in Nicaragua in like the 80s. Manuel Noriega. Noriega. Colonel Noriega. Or What's General now? Noriega. What song? I don't know if it was a song or if it was just like they just were playing the radio or something. I don't think it was a repetitive song so much as they were like. Let's just put all these house speakers up against his windows and just turn everything up to 11. Wow. And he eventually was like, I can't. You can't do it anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an easy way to do it, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I've listened to it a bunch of times. It's a bittersweet song. It's about someone who thinks that their significant other is cheating on him or maybe leaving him, right? If you, just, you think we'd be able to read the lyrics, the actual lyrics? Yes. And I'm going to actually touch on some of them. It's a super simple little song. It's only four minutes long. I, what I, some of the things I'm going to touch on some of the things I really like about it so it is very simple he's got a Stevie Wonder's got a kick-ass voice he doesn't go nuts trying to like impress you with shit he just catches your attention with some of the things that he hits and the song is so simple it's just him and the piano the piano is very beautiful and then there's also a little bit of like I would say it's a very light Spartan synthesized bass just to kind of fill in some spots and make it sound like it's not because, you know, if you literally just hear someone playing a piano and singing and they're doing 100% of what's happening, it doesn't quite sound as polished. And this was like a big hit that hit like, I think it hit climbed on the charts in 1980. It was like a, the number 11 song for a week or something. Maybe even did better than that. I don't know. But um, that's, that's what you're dealing with. Just Stevie Wonder singing. He's playing the piano. And there's a little bit of production there with the, um, I, I believe it's like synthesized bass. Because it, it's mostly just playing like a bass beat just to fill in a couple of spots. Mostly on top of the piano to like you know double accentuate but then at the end it does something a little different it gets a little twangy this was 80 1980 when everything had some type of like right when the Guidestones were built right when the maybe Stevie Wonder <laughs> had something to do with it I don't know <laughs> I think he built it um, my favorite aspect of the song for sure is when you listen to the chorus the piano slows down almost to like a it, it's not like in, in actual speed but the piano you can it kind of comes to a stop and then he hits the bass of the piano like a stair step up to bring you into a line of the chorus and then at the end of the line of the chorus it does it again then he brings you back up again with the same beat on the piano right, right. that's definitely the thing I think that you on, on first listen you're going to be like that's what I'll stay with um, and it's just really nice because the backdrop of the song are the lyrics of this guy afraid he's going to lose his woman it doesn't even get any more specific than um, like you or my, my you know, and I'll, I'll, it, it is a woman though, because some of the lines do tell you that. Here's the refrain in the song I'm a man of many wishes. I hope my premonition misses, but what I really feel, my eyes won't let me hide. And then this is where the piano comes in, because as he says, cause they always, it's cause they always start to cry. Mm-hmm. And then he says, cause this time could mean goodbye. So that's the chorus over and over. I know you've heard the song, because it's one of those, you be like in a grocery store or in a dentist office or whatever. It's haunting, you know, and it's a really nice song. Um, another thing that I like is that there's a couple of spots where, especially nowadays, everything gets like repeated. They're like, there's empty space there for three bars. Let's just repeat that line a bunch of times or throw something else in or take his vocals and 
put him over himself or something like that. And there's several spots where and it might be because it's 1980 and just people didn't stick as much shit into stuff as they do now. But it just you know what I think it is? Is there's a couple spots where he stops. You expect maybe he's going to say a little bit more to finish the line. He doesn't. and But it leaves the spot for you to be like you're leaning in like whoa you didn't say what you were going to add on to that. Now you're thinking about a little bit more. It's like super subtle but I think there's a couple of spots where he sucks you in more by being a little bit less, uh, you know, verbose and leaving some spots. Um, like at the end when he says, yet the thought of losing you has been hanging around my mind. Definitely there was a spot there for him to add something in. And it just, he just lets the piano play the end of that bar. So I like that. Um, so the lyrics, um, upon closer inspection, Here's the thing that I thought. This is something I came up with. Listen to it a hundred times. Upon closer inspection, it's not like your basic she's going to leave me type song because you listen to the evidence that he puts out in the song like she leave me why because I saw her driving off with Isaiah or I caught her with Isaiah or she wrote Isaiah so, you know, Mrs. Cooper in her notebook or whatever. Right. There's, there's nothing like that. Then I'm like, all right, so and again, I don't know that I would have really gleaned this from and I'm not saying there's any value to this at all <clears throat> but I don't know that I would have gleaned this about the song without listening to it a hundred times. So, <laughs> So here's the thing. Stevie Wonder is blind, we know, right? Oh, right. Throughout his three... <laughs> this is a key element of this song, I think, because each of the choruses, which are very short, they each have like a little element of like what was the thing that happened. And they all are very interesting to me that a blind, a blind guy would be much more likely to pick these up if you believe, which I, I do, that like they accentuate, they have a little bit more developed... They've developed their other senses a little bit more. They can... Mm-hmm. Right? It's, I think most of us think a blind guy can smell and hear... A little better than yeah, average. That's joke. immediately what I'm thinking now that you kind of brought that up, right? Because right. he can't mm-hmm. see, so he has to rely on it. it just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the first piece of his evidence. This is his first. You know, he just starts out saying, "Lately, I've been thinking that I'm going to lose you." Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing that comes up. This is why. Far more frequently, you're wearing perfume with no special place to go. Okay, mm-hmm. I think a sighted guy maybe would notice that, but maybe not as easily as he would. Why are you smelling good? Why exactly? Why are you smelling good tonight? Exactly. Where are we going? A lot of people would miss that. I don't know that it's damning evidence that she's that there's any hanky panky going on. Here's next. Where are we going? The next verse. And there's only really three verses. Three. So that's the first one. Second one is lately I've been staring staring in the mirror, picking myself apart. I mean, everyone does that. I, again, I don't know. That kind of maybe makes me think he really isn't trying to say that she's leaving, and maybe it's more of a song about the lack of confidence that you can have when you're in a relationship and how um, it's just a normal part of it. You know what I mean? You're not always thinking we're in it every once in a while. She's going to look at a guy in a restaurant or she's going to say something that's going to make you question it. It kind of made that line maybe think of maybe I was looking at the song all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, Because he's not looking in the mirror. And that's another thing too. <laughs> Interesting, he's a blind guy saying that that would be the metaphor that he would use. I assumed it was metaphorical I'm looking in the mirror. Just I've been kind of beating myself up mm-hmm. more than staring in the mirror because it's Stevie Wonder. I mm-hmm. don't think he was staring in the mirror. He'd have to take your word for it. You'd have to tell him he's staring in the mirror. Um, and then the last, the <laughs> hey, last, you're not looking in the mirror, Stevie. He, 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 turn Learn to the left. Turn to the left a little bit. All right. Yeah. Screw it. You're looking at it. That's fine. <laughs> then the last part of that is is his evidence here is just the other night while you were sleeping, I vaguely heard you whisper someone's name, which again. Would I have even heard that if I was laying next to her? I don't know. Maybe he... 
well, how does he know it was a name? He doesn't say who it was. He didn't say it was a guy or a girl or anything. So once I've, again, listened maybe like a hundred times, then I started thinking, this really is not a song like I thought at first, at first glance about a guy who's losing his girlfriend. I think it's more of a <clears throat> general, um, something that we can all relate to. His, his way of relating to his listener that you just sometimes going to go through these waning periods of confidence and you're just going to have to deal with it because you love somebody you, you're going to sometimes have these little uh, you know these little attacks so I, mean, I guess in a nutshell it's more of an, ex, uh, an exclamation about periods of self-doubt that happen he's saying it happens to him he's not giving you any advice about it he's just putting it out there I think in a general way just so that we can all relate to it when we go through that period maybe it's a song that you would think of and it's, you know, it's a very nice song. I definitely suggest maybe not listening to it a hundred times, but go seek it out. It's a beautiful song. Stevie Wonder has a great voice, and I think it was constructed in a really nice way. Yeah. It's, you a, know, it's a great song. I really want to, I'm going to take a listen to it. I'm very, uh, I'm not so music, like I like music. I like to listen to it, but I don't seek a lot of music. You know, I'm not out there, like it doesn't hold such a, uh, strong place in my life in a way. Uh, you know, if I'm making a, a video kind of thing, then I will be very... The, I know the music and how it affects the mood, not just in film and stuff, but in real life. It could really set the mood and the feeling and all that kind of stuff. Um, it always makes me think when a song comes out and it becomes so immensely popular... Uh, now there's certain songs I feel that come out that are like more mainstream it's a very popular artist and they can come out as a blip on the radar and it's like huge uh, but there's some like this Stevie Wonder of course Stevie Wonder was already huge himself but a song like Lately is just a piano and it's just him singing that's not to say in the 80s there wasn't more uh, complex things going on in in music you know it's like there was like synth and guitars and all this kind of stuff but yet this just the and I, you know Jason Mraz might come out with a song or whoever I don't know is that somebody that's popular well yeah at some point or, in the recent past right who, yeah who, whoever could come out today mm -hmm. I don't say that that's outside the realm of possibility today there could still be a musician just a voice and just there's a always going to be a couple of top songs that are like acoustic that's just melodic, it right slow and song. what is it it's just when it speaks to I think it's something that normally has to have this sort of there's something deeper I, almost to how the the music itself touches you not I mean, and I mean very like uh, almost scientifically like the way the music is is affecting a lot of people but then the message itself coupled with that is something that's so relatable the ebb of flow of relationship you know um, Stevie Wonder's going through this I'm going through it everyone's going through this he's not giving me advice but the advice isn't what I need it's just the fact that someone else is going through I know exactly comfort. what he's saying I've been there right. that type of thing and it's enjoyable to listen to and it's not preachy and he's not you know telling you what his fix was or whatever he's just saying anyone else mm -hmm. anyone else ever have this happen to them because it's happening to exactly me. and a lot of times in those situations just the company is enough therapy uh, you don't need somebody telling you what to do mm -hmm. just need somebody you know I know that I've experienced it here I am look at me I'm groovy mm -hmm. so uh, I think that I'm gonna give this song a listen man lately everyone lately by Stevie Wonder
Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, man. So uh, last week we wanted uh, for the Millennial Book Club, aka just fucking watching Netflix, man. Um, we chose the show to watch the toys that made us. Now you texted me the next day. I think it was no same day, same day that night, same the night day. after we recorded. Yep, it said. And I watched the first one. It was okay. What was that, man? Sorry. I was queuing up the list. I wanted to see what the... Uh, I just wanted to see the whole list of them. So The Toys That Made Us right. is, is an eight-part series. I don't know how many... How many did you watch? Uh, I did the same thing. Now, when you told me which ones that you watched, I realized that you actually watched... Season two. Season two. Oh, shit. I did watch season two. <laughs> so he tells me, he's like, I watched that Star Trek episode. That one was okay. Did you watch season... But, so did you adjust no, or did you stick with it? I had to watch the same one. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How come... Maybe you finished season two already. Maybe you... Have you been watching that much of this show? No, I definitely watched season two. First, yes. Yeah. You did, yes. They just talked a lot about these other ones that were in season one. But yeah, so I watched season two. So what did you watch? I watched what you watched. You watched what I watched. I realized, I said, this, I was like, Star Wars. He said, he said, he said, Star Trek. He said, he watched, he said, he said, watch a Star Trek. Well, if you remember, I said, I want to watch the one with Transformers. So when I saw that was in there, I didn't even think twice about it. And, def- and it defaults to season two in my defense. You took the quick, the quickest route to uh, the one that you really wanted to see, which, you know, that's... That's a okay. So yes, um, I watched. Hold on, let's see. Toys. Uh, yes, the toys that made that made us is the uh, the show. So how do you tell me? Uh, you watched. Let's go in order. Let's talk about these two episodes sure. and how we felt about them. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, what we talk about, uh, we choose something that we're going to watch on Netflix, and we're trying to keep it Netflix original for now. We'll probably expound on it, but. Let's have a, it's a I don't think we'll have to. I think Netflix is going to put out more original shit than we can keep up with. I think you're right. And that's, that's thank you for our content. Uh, so what we're going to do is, uh, or what we've been doing is we say we're going to watch something over the course of the week. We watch it. You can watch it with us. And then come back the next week and um, go ahead and, and uh, listen to see how, what we think. We'll give, put it on a ranking system that we have, which is um, must watch. Uh, watch if it's there and the last one which is go ride a bike which is just, you know, go do something else right which we've had a couple we've had a couple we've had a couple I think I don't know if there's have we had any of that were must watch um, no but you know what though this might be teasing that because for a guy my age the so well, let's, let's like you said let's go back to the first one the first one was on Star Trek it was interesting. I mean, obviously, so, we all have our own relationship with Star Trek, however old or young you are. What is the show? I got, you started to, and then I interrupted yes, what you the know show what? is. So what is the show? It's an eight-part documentary series. You know this from the the little uh, leading open. Mm-hmm. It's an eight-part documentary series. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that was kind of cheesy. Don't let that throw you, because that's cheesy, and like it's campy almost. It's a little campy. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's well-researched. It's really good... Um, like white rooms of actual participants, they they went all out. They really did find a lot of interesting people. Like for for the toys that were coming out of Japan, they're talking with the the designer, and he's speaking Japanese, and they have like a translator, 
and they're going back and forth with all the big names and stuff. I, I thought they did a really good job. High production value, entertaining. It doesn't get bogged down too much with the minutia. They, but they do sometimes get into the weeds a little bit to, to point out to you, you know, how important it was that this happened in 1981 before this happened. Mm-hmm. And then they back it up and go, just so you know, it could have made 50 million. It made 6 million or whatever. But it's so, but the shows are documentaries about specific toys. The first one was about Star Trek, which has a long history of merchandising. Or the first one of the, the first one of season, season two. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. So uh, we, yeah, which is you know, it's the, it's uh, there's no like through line in a way. Right. From yeah, you totally here. watch them out of order. It's, totally. it's just a documentary, and and if you want to have an idea of what the feel is, it's uh, it's like one really long. I love the seventies. Yes. episode uh, in the way that it's done but it's ultra elitist it's ultra elitist it's ultra elitist <laughs> in the way that it's in the way that it's portrayed and it's like uh, it's more like it really digs into whereas like I love the 70s would be like I loved that toy but they really dig into like the toy the guy who designed the toy how it affected the market how it affected people um, so yeah I mean, it, interesting. So, what makes you call it elitist? The fact that they're assuming that you give a shit about the revenue of these toys? Because it's or? like, uh, you know, there's it's like the nerd guy from The Simpsons is constantly like, well, it wasn't in that episode. Uh, Gorn didn't actually wear a lizard head. And, you know, like, that's like it keeps showing like how the toy company made the toy. Now, and when it comes like, back. I feel like, like that was coming from the fact that a lot of the contributors in the episodes were like these ridiculous collector people. Yeah, they were the guy from The Simpsins. <laughs> they were the yeah comic book guy right. and in like, all of his different arc. And, and then especially sh- the Star Trek one. It was out of control. Right. How many guys they had going, you know, I didn't even want any of these toys. The phaser barely had stun written on the side of it. and that I, Some of the complaints were valid because anyone would be like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's stupid to have a helmet with, with a, a siren on the top. And that it just nothing. says Star Trek on it, right? <laughs> and like... Meanwhile, and then it cuts, and then it cuts to like the business guy that's doing all. He's like, "Hey, you know why we just slapped the siren on a helmet? I put love Star that. Trek on it, right? Yeah." And then I love it cuts that. to like the guy from The Simpsons, like there was no, uh, definitely no, no helmet with the uh, a siren on it in the show anywhere. Yeah, like that's- that was what you. That's what you're looking at is the developers and the manufacturers and the marketers and then the real hardcore fanboys and Star Trek, obviously has a ridiculously long and well-documented relationship between the fanboys and the people that produce this shit. Well-documented. They did a really good job, though. I think if you watch it, what you can expect is the fanboys are going to give you the details about what movie and what toy or what specific merchandise hit or missed, and the merchandisers are going to tell you what they thought were the big wins and the big losses yeah, based like, on how much they produced versus what was out. And I mean, I guess I knew the movies kind of drove the demand, but I didn't realize if we don't have a Star Trek movie in 1999, the toys just tank. And it's like, I don't know. Don't people buy their kids Star Trek shit every year? But but the maybe. toy, but the movie is what keeps the movie and the show is what keeps it in. Yeah, uh, you know, the commercials and everything can help, but like you gotta create that drive to go out and get that toy. And the story behind yeah. it like that's what the thing that I noticed is like creating the story behind or having a story behind the toys helps a lot but it seems like you know you said you were saying like the the losses and uh, the wins it, dude that guy the business I can't I, I don't can't remember his name but you know the guy with like the glasses and yes stuff. The, Mr. Action Figure Guy yeah whatever. he's still because his company was 
the opposite of the company that did Star Wars, and they came to him first. Yes. And he's, you can tell... No, he was the leading guy, because they start out by going, Star Trek toys sucked in the beginning. They didn't realize what they stumbled onto. Once they did, it was this guy. He bought the license for, like, squat. Mm -hmm. And then he he was like, we paid, like, 5,000 bucks. Turned into 150 million. I was I couldn't spend it fast enough. And then <laughs> and then they came to him with Star Wars. He's like, "Get the fuck out of my office!" Basically, yeah. And he was like, "No, I didn't say that. What I said was, we'll look into it." And it never materialized. But the other guy that was on the other end of that transaction was like, "I was calling him. I said hello. He hung up on me. He told me to go fuck off a couple times. He doesn't need me." And they went to Kent. Was Kenner the company that ended up doing the Star Wars licensing? I think so. Whatever it was, because I might have had conflated that with the Transformers one. But whatever that other... No, no, it wasn't Kenner. It was... uh, I know the toy company. But anyway, then they brought the guy, even though it was the Star Trek one, they brought in the Star Wars guy just to go, we fucking obviously made a serious franchise here with the Star Wars thing. But then, of course, it had an effect on the continuation of the Star Trek franchise. And they started to figure out, we put out a movie, and there's a show, and there's a breakfast cereal... We know how much money we can make on it because they they learned with the Star Trek thing. I think is what they were trying to say. Mm-hmm. If you don't come out with a movie that year, cut back on the toys because mm-hmm. you're not going to sell them. Right. And then even if the movie isn't good, right? Like because when I think of Star Trek movies, I never think of Star Trek One. I think I've seen it, but I don't ever think of that. What's the Star Trek movie you think of? Are you are Star the Trek- newest ones because all the other ones it was just a show. And uh, Patrick, you don't think of Star Trek Two at all? No, dude, I don't, none of those old movies. I never was never into Star Trek. I never saw dude. Star Trek anything until them they started revamping no him. So, Star Trek Two is like '80s, but Ricardo Montalban, the guy from Fantasy Island, welcome to Fantasy Island. He plays like this guy that got screwed over by Captain Kirk. That is the Wrath of Khan. He plays Colonel General Khan. So whatever. That was a kick-ass movie. It had that. Action bite. The first one, it did fucking totally suck. Then after that, they kind of figured out, okay, we need to market to the kids, but we need to throw enough bones to the adult fanboys so they'll have an interest in going out to buy a new phaser or the whatever we introduced in the movie. And then they really, the science got there. And then it became like, they're not even making movies. They're making merchandising fucking vehicles. They just have to be two-hour trailers for fucking new... That's all it Star is. Trek it's really interesting the tie between the movies and everything. And, and I've never been interested in that shit no, either. No. And my relationship with Star Trek is I knew of the campy original TV show, which always sucked, mm-hmm. laughably sucked. The original Star Trek movies with with um, who plays Captain Kirk, the Priceline guy, Shatner, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy. Those are my movies up until I actually say Star Trek Five is a very important... I always reference that movie because for me, that was the first time... We were just talking about this with Prometheus. It was the first time the movie promises this really amazing finish and just so poorly delivers. You're just like, what the fuck? It was called The Search for God. They were going to go to this planet where God lived. And at the end... Spoiler alert! Okay, this movie sucked. The guy came out from behind a curtain. No, they had a it big, was just a regular projected kid. head. They're standing on like a empty kind of planet, and there's a big head. You have found God, and I was like, "Fuck you guys! This was a ripoff. I'll never get that time." If I back. wanted to watch The Wizard of Oz. Where's the tornado? It, it, yeah, exactly. You know what I felt was uh, the Star Trek episode was really just an episode documenting the crushing success of Star Wars. <laughs> Is really I, how I, I felt about because they kept cutting back to like Star Wars and the guys like nah. 
It was just drawings. He had nothing but drawings on my desk. Ah! Like, you know what I mean? Like, Star Wars and how it just completely crushed Star Trek. But, um, you know, I liked it enough to go on to the next episode, which was really the episode that you were... That was the one I really wanted to watch, because the next episode was about Transformers, and that was a big toy for me when I was a kid. All those... They... It was like going back in time for me. Even talking about the GoBots, I went, oh my god, I totally forgot about GoBots. There was a Christmas where GoBots and Transformers were both out, like rival companies, both trying to you know, bite off this Japanese market that was already existing. And I got a GoBot, and you know, now they can look back with 2020 hindsight and go, I knew the GoBots were crap. I, you know, the the craftsmanship, the whatever. And I was like, oh, fuck those you, nerds, dude. dude. I'm telling you, the yeah. elitist. You're like, yeah. I was an elitist. That's how it's elitist. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, the collector they, guys are way too, um, what's the word, influential mm-hmm. in the process. Because, I mean, the kids do benefit because the toys do get better when you have 40-year-old guys writing letters and trying to exert influence. Your toys to suck. Like, They're made the plastic <laughs> of the... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't believe you would possibly make a toy like this. <laughs> but, I mean, when I was a kid, Transformers were awesome. I went to go see the Transformers movie. The cartoon was awesome. Everybody wanted Transformers. The first ones that you could get were the gun... Um, Decepticon, I think his name was. Decepticons was the whole group. It was the Autobots and the Decepticons. What was he called? Um, it was Megatron. 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 Yeah, he was the gun. He was really cool because he was complicated enough that it was a cool transformation, but not like with a bunch of flimsy parts. We had to flip. Sometimes they would just put a little flip for something just because they wanted to have nine things that moved, and they were cheesy. No, he was awesome. Like every piece was you could see. This was the foot, this was the arm, but when you put it into the gun, you were like, it looks like a gun, there's no whatever. Then they got lazy with the design, and they started pumping them out, and they got shitty. Optimus Prime was cool, uh, Megatron was cool, and I had like a handful of other ones. And I told you last week that the construction equipment one was a cool one, and they actually showed that one on it. Did they? Yeah, they showed the construction one. They were green, five construction vehicles that came together in oh, one Oh, and they were guy. all, right, right, yeah. right. But, um... The, those by that point they'd already gotten shitty that was probably like three years into it four years into it yeah. they started to get smaller and shittier and they just tried to obviously maximize their bang for their buck they didn't give a shit about what the kids would play with them or not they just focus group to try to figure out how cheap they could make it and just keep ripping off the Japanese guys that's what they were really saying in the in the Transformers one yeah. yeah is that it's such an interesting yeah the whole story uh, you know I think each episode is as good as obviously how your what your personal connection is to whatever they're talking about. Yeah. But then, of course, the story of the uh, company itself, or the the story of the product itself, is so interesting. The fact it came from so the, I, I don't I don't know the names of all of these companies. Was it like Mego or something like that? Mego. Mego. Mego licensed GI Joe to this Japanese com- com- company, and for some reason. Oh, so you watch some of the G- season one ones? No. Oh. This is uh, Transformers. Okay. Uh, so Mego licensed oh, yeah, yeah, Mego right. licensed the GI Joe to these Japanese companies, and they start making it, but it doesn't sell. And because he looks American, he's got a scar on his face. He's a little angry. And guess what? We just dropped a bunch of bombs on them. Why would they want to like? Because in Japan they call GI Joe super angry, aggressive oh, American. Right. right. Like why would they? <laughs> The super angry, aggressive imperialist. Those cultural changes, if they don't do it right, it just doesn't hit. That's exactly what they were trying to say there. And I was like, that totally makes sense. You have a really cool thing in Japan, but it's not cool in itself. It's cool because they've 
supercharged it with all this marketing and shit and they touch the right strings of the mm-hmm. Japanese kids then the toy guys go over and go an American toy guy goes over and goes oh my god they're making tons of money they're making tons, let's go yeah. do it and if you don't translate it right it's yeah, not so gonna hit with the with the G.I. Joe they didn't translate at all like they're yeah. like it just wasn't working and they, they kept trying different skin colors and different things and they found out if they made the G.I. Joe translucent and put lights on the inside made him a robot made him a fucking robot Sold like hotcakes. Yeah, these the the Japanese loved it. The kids loved it, and so that's what really started the robot craze. Yeah, and and then apparently they didn't go into depth on how they tested this, but they did say it was like extensive testing. I mean, I don't know how they would have tested. They just took a bunch of kids and like just focus group the shit out of and just play with these toys. Yeah, what do you like? They can focus group stuff like that. All They're right. very good. Focus group science runs an inordinate amount of stuff in life right now. Yeah, it's it's too much. Well, the toys focus groups are the most important to me, especially in Japan. <laughs> I thought so, it was a great episode, though, without, was, yeah. without totally killing it for someone. I mean, I watched the Star Trek one, and I'm not a big Star Trek guy, but it was interesting to me. And it was my first, the first ep I watched. The Transformers one, I was looking forward to, and I did love it because it hit me like on several levels. But I think even if I wasn't interested in Transformers, they did a good enough job doing it because I actually watched all four. The Lego one was the next one. Do you watch the Lego one? I didn't watch any more after the after the two. The two. Yeah. Isaiah's a purist. He said we do two. That's it. I would have watched it. It's just you know. Yeah. Time. time so you time. so totally, you weren't like super into him then. Is that what you're saying? I I am, but you know I didn't. I grew up with like so they the Transformers episode got later into like the what Transformers transformed into you know like final, they they turned it into Beast Wars. They tried to like revitalize it with Beast Wars. That was my generation. Like Transformers was there. I knew about it. But Beast Wars was like I had Beast Wars toys. They were animals that transformed into like different types, of like uh, a robot. Okay, it was like robotic animals and stuff. And like I was around for that. They had like a cheetah and like a mouse and um, uh, like a big gorilla, and they would transform from like a gorilla into like a robot. You know. But they were all vegetarians, and they always were they, all good, big about taking the garbage, take it out, all that type of stuff. Very just like Captain Planet. <laughs> just like Captain Planet. Just like Captain Planet. Uh, the Lego one. Definitely was the best one. And oh, I, really? I like Transformers the best personally, but the Lego one, because everybody knows Legos, and the Lego story is fucking awesome. Oh, and, really? And they did a really good job with that. And then the Hello Kitty one came on next, and I was like, ah, I was just folding laundry and cleaning up around the house. And I went in and I put them on. I think I watched the Star Trek and the Transformers like pretty much right after we were done. And then the Lego one I put on like right before bed. And I was like, wow, this is the one. This was definitely the one. I, I didn't see season one yet. The Hello Kitty one, I don't give a shit about Hello Kitty. But it was interesting because now I feel like I have a better idea about, you know, when you're talking about the something that's just a brand like that, there's nothing behind Hello Kitty. You're like, oh, wow, shit, I know exactly where that came from. I know who started it. I know what the deal was with it. And Yeah, how do you, it's, it's this whole show is basically like starting a brand. Like mm-hmm. starting a brand. Like Transformers was literally, let's start a brand we make toys start a brand of toys that kids want to and then mm-hmm. from that they were like you know create this movie create this show create this all this stuff just to sell these toys like it's so there's they're kind of like, reverse engineering the formula for us the layman so we can right. see because they're just doing the ones that were super popular and they're just backtracking on those mm-hmm. and saying this is how it happened so not necessarily repeatable formula but this right. is how it happened over and over, and it seemed very similar for in, all. Yeah, in my mind, it always feels like it goes the opposite direction. You know, like they have a book turned into a movie, turned into a show, a show turned into a movie, something like that, and then they go market it, 
get Spaceballs the plush toy, Spaceballs the flamethrower in there. Like, movie comes first. That's always how I thought. Where's like, the Pogs guy? Get me the Pogs guy now. <laughs> you remember the Slammer? <laughs> I loved it, man. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was a really good show. And I think, just like how you said, the Lego episode was the best. And the Transformers episode was also up there. And then the Hello Kitty was interesting, but it wasn't eh, because you didn't connect. So I think from episode to episode, it's only as good as how much you can connect with it. And then the rest is like, wow, that's really interesting information. I think it is a well-made documentary. I think it's a really fun show and how it's done. And I really like that kind of... I like knowing things. You know, I like getting that information and you never know when all of a sudden I'm going to be beaten over the head and blindfolded and when they take it off I'm going to be on a game show that's a life or death you never know man <laughs> you never know I, and, I, uh, I would rate this high I would give what was our top rating it is must watch so I would say it's just a tinge under must watch <clears throat> the Lego one was awesome I think everyone would love that if you're my age if you're like around 40 or so and you're a kid that was in America you're going to love the Transformers one and the Star Trek one, again, that also, everyone's got their own relationship with Star Trek. So everyone will get something from that. The Hello Kitty wasn't for me, but whatever. Um, and what I would say is they just misnamed this. I don't like the toys that made us as a name. Mm-hmm. I, it's more like biography on, you know, eight popular trends over the last yeah, What do you years. think would be a better name? You know, like... American Toys. American Toys. Is Hello Kitty American? No. Well, toys, but, but they were really centered on the angle of, yeah, you know what? That one is a little different in that they were talking. No, you know what? It was worldwide toy crazes. So maybe... Toy crazes. Yeah, like maybe that anatomy of a toy craze or so. That I sounds was, a little Hannibal Lecter-ish. I mean, the, I guess the toys that made us might not just be direct enough, you know? Because I get it. They didn't want to call it like biography of toy crazes, but I don't know. It, didn't, it wouldn't have grabbed that, me if we didn't pick it. For this, I probably wouldn't have watched it because it's been sitting there in my face for like a couple of months now. So you would give it the uh, must-watch? I would give it the must-watch. It was definitely interesting. and uh, those So are if you, you give it the must-watch, I'm going to give it the watch if it's there. Okay. And then that will give it the, the rating that you're looking for that's in the middle. Yeah. You, you know go. what I mean? Because we, we're not always going to 100% agree on everything. It's a must. It's a watch if it's there, 0. 0.5. Right. Plus, plus 0. 0.5. Plus 0. 0.5. So it's like right in the middle... Uh, and I think it's you have be. to watch if it's there. If it's there, if you're like yes, <laughs> and that's what we'll put right in the middle. Because that's what I'm. You know, for me, if if I was hanging out with you and you're like, hey man, have you seen the show? This is fucking great. You know, put it on. I'm gonna watch it. If I turn on the TV and it just happened to be on when I already turned it on, I'd sit there and I'd watch it. But it's not uh, these. This is still the generation that's making this show. Is that uh, why? Why generation? Yeah. Is your generation is making these? Uh, the millennials aren't making this show, these kinds of shows, just yet. Right. So it's made by you for you. Uh, now, like I said, like obviously I know Lego, I know Transformers, they touch my life, but it's like so. Like everything is pretty much already at the end of it. Not at the end. Like Legos is still going. Yeah. But it's like, it's all the big stories already happened. Now they're just cranking. Well, got when their- you were a kid, it was not an integral part of your toy playing life. Legos. Well, I mean, I did play with Legos. I think you like the Legos the, one. But the story behind the Legos, it's, like, it's already done. It's already now to the point where they have a formula of like, put out the Legos, put out the Legos, have the kids play with Legos. But the story that brought it there is already like, but for you, you were in the midst of it. Like the Legos were coming out. 
And that goes from like the fifties, dude. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, interesting. It was yeah, it was it was really cool. I I guess I kind of had an idea about some of it, but it was, it was a pretty cool story. I, I'm I'm definitely I I uh, if I'm just flipping around and I want to watch, I mean, I'll put it on. Like it, if it's if it's. Do you ever flip there. around though? Because nowadays, especially millennials, you got like which subscription am I going to go to? And Typically, I do. Just... Well, I've, I'll flip around. It just depends on if it's me and uh, the girlfriend watching. Or Is there like a Hulu lobby or something, or like a I guess the Netflix, you know, suggested for you page is like the closest you're going to get to channel surfing. It's the same, yeah. And then Hulu has the same uh, similar kind of thing. They have like a what you calls it that'll suggestions for you, suggestions yeah. kind of thing. You can flip around, but it's like I pretty much thing is Hulu's already a lot of like Viacom stations and like TBS and that kind of stuff. It's already shows that are on networks, and you can just look it up and watch it. So. Um, but uh, yeah I mean I, I would I, I go through I've I, I surf I'd watch that again I'd watch that but yeah right in the middle that's where we're putting it do we have to pick another one are we going to pick um, something for the next step do you want to pick one for the next week or uh, I think let's I think we should take a break from, the, from it until next week okay. and then next week we'll pick one uh, we'll do our episode for next week and then we'll pick we'll go like go back and forth you know what I mean okay so everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Again, uh, thank you to our sponsors, Crest Taint Whitening Strips. Thank you, Crest. I'm wearing one right now, actually. Make, Can't wait to see how it peels off. You're going to make that taint twinkle, my friend. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening to Road Soda. Grab a Road Soda. It's probably Monday morning. Every New episodes every Monday morning at Midnight, they drop. You can first thing in the morning on Monday, driving to work, grab a road soda, get some of that water cooler botter, something to talk about, something to think about throughout the week. That's road soda. Remember, everybody, feel free to follow us on Facebook at Road Soda Podcast. Also on Twitter at Road Soda Podcast. Please, we would love to hear from you. Comment on our shit. Send us emails and we will read them live on the show you can send your emails comments links anything to road soda mail at gmail.com again that is road soda mail at gmail.com feel free to contact us send us stuff we'd love to hear from you thank you for listening thank you greg thank you have a good night